Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. Now, you might have thought that we were done with spoiler specials dedicated to the biggest film of all time, Avengers Endgame. You know, what with the four-hour in-studio version we recorded with the Empire Podcast team, the two-hour live show we did with the Empire Podcast team, and the two-hour interview special we did with directors Joe and Anthony Russo and writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, all of which, incidentally, are available for you to listen to right now on a podcast app of your choice. But we're not done. Oh, no. Because when we were given the chance to hold a live Q&A event a couple of weeks ago at an exclusive London hotel with Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, the producer of all 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe films and the grand poobah of all things Marvel, we jumped at it. Oh, we jumped at it. And just to prove that you should subscribe to Empire Magazine, that it is a fine life choice, we invited almost a hundred subscribers to come along to this very intimate event and be the audience. But we couldn't leave the rest of you guys out, so here it is. The full 50-minute interview between myself and Kevin, in which he talks about a great many things. And yes, a great many spoilerific things, for this is a podcast intended for people who have seen Avengers Endgame, maybe even people who've seen it multiple times. And I feel very, very sorry for the one or two people in the audience who hadn't seen Avengers Endgame because they had the movie spoiled for them and then some. So if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, then listen no further. Stop listening right now or you will hear details about Tony Stark's death, about the portal scene in which all the heroes come back and an alternate version of the movie which featured Cap's severed head and Thanos sitting on a throne of skulls. So I hope you stopped listening otherwise whoops a couple of technical notes uh this was recorded live in the room obviously and so there are a couple of moments where the sound peaks a little bit but hopefully you won't mind those bits too much and it starts in media res during my preamble to the audience and you'll soon hear why oh and as this was recorded a while ago we didn't talk about the whole spider-man brouhaha that came to light this week or anything to do with phase four this is an end game focused interview. And just a reminder, if after hearing this you want to revisit Avengers Endgame, it's available right now on digital platforms and on DVD, Blu-ray and 3D Blu-ray from September 2nd. So, without any further to-do, as Carlito Brigante once said, here it is, Kevin Feige talking for nearly an hour about the stirring culmination of the Infinity Saga, Avengers Endgame. Enjoy. Uh, this is going to be a spoiler conversation, so we're going to be getting into it right from the off. But have, have you avoided spoilers? Do you know? You know that Tony dies? Okay, that's good. All right. Um, brilliant. All right. James, have you pressed record? You have pressed record. How's the sound, James? Okay. There's nothing you can do about that. This is just how I sound. All right, I think that's all the bits of housekeeping. Uh, at the end, there will be rovy microphones with people with, you know, hands attached to the microphones. So uh, do you ask your questions? Right, let me see. When Kevin Feige gets here, I know we are a smaller number. We're about 100. Uh, but I want you to make the noise of a Chitari Legion. <laughs> so I want when he walks in the room, and go, Legion! <laughs> or whatever weird noise they make. That'd be, that'd be cool. All right, okay, so let's practice that now. Let's pretend I've introduced Kevin Feige! Yeah. 
everybody. Well, Kevin, you've trampled all over my intro. Oh, I heard you begging for artificial uh, applause. Unbelievable. That's what I heard. It wasn't begging. I was oh. asking nicely. Yeah, that's true. Kevin Feige, everybody, on the Empire Podcast! Uh... All right, so I was going to do an introduction. We're live in London, Empire Podcast. I hope you've all seen Endgame. We've established some of you actually haven't, but screw you guys. Who has not seen it? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are you here? I don't understand how that has even happened. Let's see what else. Uh, why is this podcast special? It's dedicated to... Avengers Endgame, uh, uh, special, special, special podcast. Is this the intro but, right now? Is this yeah, the intro I'm going happening? through it. Now, <laughs> I, now I read it. It doesn't seem that good. <laughs> I get to pick the brains of the architect of the Avengers films. That's you, the mastermind oh. of the MCU. Okay. I was quite proud of this one, Kevin. The instigator of the Infinity Saga. Did you like that? Okay, right. The, so, please welcome instigator, the president of Marvel so Studios. <laughs> instigator. Oh, yeah, I like that. The president of Marvel Studios and the producer of the biggest movie of all time, Kevin Maggie! Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my word. For the, for the time, I always like to add, for now. For the time, <laughs> for now. It's nice, for now. Are you going to re-release Infinity War until it overtakes Endgame? And then just have this arms race. I, mean, I think Avatar will go, and then we'll go, and we'll get, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but serious congratulations on that. Uh, were you keeping an eye on things? I'm sure you were. And you know, as it got closer and closer and closer to overtaking Avatar's record. Yeah. Yes, I, w- I would not say uh, every day. We were not, I was not refreshing. Uh, you weren't going to listen to ten Mojo times <laughs> every day, no. Uh, and there were, it, it sort of looked like it was going to happen. You, you know, in this business, and I guess in any business, when people are trying to predict the future, they're always wrong. So they go, you know, opening weekend was so far above in the States, so far above any expectation. Mm. I, was, I was just hoping that we'd do even a dollar more than Infinity War. <laughs> like, if, it was just, if we just did a dollar more than the opening weekend of Infinity War, that would have been... Yeah. Who, which, by the way, was the biggest opening at the time. Uh-huh. So I was saying, as long as it's the biggest opening of all time, I'll be happy. <laughs> uh, Plus one. That it beat it by 100 million was astounding, yeah. and, and you didn't, don't really know how to process that. Mm. At any rate, people start going, oh, we, we've beat it for sure. We beat Avatar, no problem. Then, you know, four weeks later... Nah, we're definitely not beating it, but it's but it's <laughs> it's solid run, and I always say that's good because at least there'll be some point in the process where we can be disappointed in Endgame. Uh, but alas, here we are. Alas, it, here we are, and it, and it uh, crossed it, which is which is uh, amazing and astounding for something that so many people worked so hard on for so long, and uh, and my biggest fear during this process was always. Um, not that it wouldn't be the biggest movie of all time. Of course, that, that honestly never entered our head again. It was that Infinity War would do bigger than the first Avengers. It was that Endgame would do bigger than Infinity War because as you build things up, you want them to, to be well-received. Hmm. And, you know, there's some franchises, and I wouldn't mention them anyway, and I can't think of them, where, <laughs> where, where the final one doesn't do as well as the others. Yeah. And you're like, big finale, ta-da, flop. Uh, so for about four, five years, I've been worrying about that. And now I don't have to anymore. <laughs> that start at the beginning of, of Endgame, because uh, this movie came not as a package deal, but uh, you conceived of this at the same time with the Russo brothers and with Marcus and McFeely at the same time as Infinity War. So you knew you were going into this movie with the snap and with the end of Infinity War and everything that entailed. At what point did you start planning this movie in relation to that? 
same time. They were conceived together uh, for the most part. And there were times as in, in, in a blue sky, anything's possible. Um, we've got all the time in the world um, period of the movie, which every movie has a short period that's like that. We were developing both of these at the same time. As the realities, the cruel realities of the real world start to come in and it's like you have to start filming one of these movies and then have to release <laughs> one of these movies then then we started focusing more on uh, Infinity War mm -hmm. until that got finished and then went back to focusing on or at least that got started and then went back to focusing on Endgame but in in uh, the overall they were conceived together and at the same time so this is around 2016 around the time of, of Civil War I guess we had a retreat we go on we've done we just did our I think seventh creative retreat at Marvel Studios uh, that I initiated, I instigated <laughs> in, uh, in the summer of 2008 after Iron Man had come out and succeeded and we had announced Iron Man 2 and uh, Thor and Captain America and Avengers, where we just get away from everything and away from the phones and away from the daily schedule to just focus creatively on the stories. We were on our third retreat, perhaps five years or more ago when we started talking about what would become Infinity War and Endgame. And in particular, how do we pay off this purple guy that Joss set up at the end of Avengers 1 <laughs> and start to intertwine them with these awesome Infinity Stones that we have mm -hmm. that provide a wonderful MacGuffins in all these individual films. And when you put them together, we thought could be more. And it was on that retreat that was the first time we thought of doing two movies at the same time, which has its pros and cons. <laughs> they were announced as Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. At what point did that change? Yeah, there are two different things. One is we announced four years ago or so Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. Very soon after that, as we started talking about it, we realized that's not really what we were doing and that's not really what we wanted to do. We didn't want to do half a movie and then half a movie. Mm. We wanted to do two distinct movies. And we can talk about is it a cliffhanger or not at the end of, uh, at the end of Infinity War um, and its semantics perhaps. But we always looked at it as not a cliffhanger, Thanos won and the movie is over. Um, <laughs> and as you've now seen Endgame, it's a very different, uh, tonally very different movie than Infinity War and stylistically a very different movie than Infinity War, which again was always the intention. So very soon after calling them part one and part two, we said, oh, we're not going to do that. Um, and I don't remember how, when it was publicly that we shifted that for okay. the first time. I think when release dates shifted or something. Yeah. Um, so it does go back about five years, this idea of doing two, the idea of splitting them conceptually kind of was always the case. And we realized the part one and part two was giving the wrong impression. Slightly more uh, in the weeds of it all is the notion that initially we thought there'd be great value, great savings, which is on a movie of this size, is, is relative, um, shooting them at the same time. And we'd be able to do what's called cross-boarding, where if you have, we shoot all the scenes in Avengers Compound all at the same time. Mm -hmm. All the Infinity War scenes, all the Endgame scenes, and then strike that set and move on. A few months before we started filming, we knew we weren't going to be able to do that because we were still writing Endgame. Chris and Steve, our amazing screenwriters, were still writing Endgame and still finishing Infinity War. And we knew we had to shoot them one right after another. Yeah. So any sort of we're really clever savings went out the window. <laughs> At that point, there was a three-week break. There were a couple of week breaks because it's very difficult to ask people to shoot for uh, almost 200 days 
straight. <laughs> um, but there is, but it ended up, it's the scheduling of the actors that ended up being the best part of that because we have a lot of actors in this movie. <laughs> and, I noticed, uh, yeah. and a lot of busy actors, a lot of famous actors, a lot of actors that star in their own movies uh-huh. uh, whenever they want to. So we needed to, you know, declare this time for these two movies so that their availability could be, uh, I don't know when we could ever bring them together again if we'd only shot one of these. I know that there's one day in particular because it's a single shot in the film. Uh, spoiler alert for the guy at the back <laughs> at Tony's funeral. Um, uh, where there were, everyone was together. And yes. there, are, there are other shots as well in the, uh, in the huge battle as well, the yes. portal sequence. How did you go about doing those? When were those, when were those pulled off? We shot, some people have asked, were they actually all together? And for that scene at the funeral, which in the script and on the call sheets and on every bit of paperwork was referred to as the wedding. <laughs> and I still to this day call it the wedding scene um, uh, as, a, as a code word. But the wedding scene was shot in October, I want to say of 17, no, maybe October of 16. Wow. Whenever we do, you remember uh, when we released a, oh, I guess it was 17, we released the 10th anniversary photo yeah, yeah, of, yeah. it was shot the day before that. That's why we did that photo then, because we had everybody there. <laughs> um, and it was astounding. It was really astounding having all those actors there. And it's very, in the movie, it's very solemn because they're all great actors. It's very effective. On the day, it was um, just insane. Because all these cast members together, Tom Holland coming up to me saying, is that Michelle Pfeiffer? What is, is Michelle Pfeiffer in this? What is happening? Gwyneth Paltrow asking why uh, Sam Jackson was there. Well, <laughs> yes, she's, and the other actors jumping in. What are you talking about? He's Nick Fury. You've been in movies with him. Um, uh, but it was really, it was really something, something special. And, and, uh, and I think even, I don't know if Joan Anth talked about this. Hmm. I think Downey came by at one point during that day <laughs> and to say hi. I actually can't. He might have come down the day before to see it as they, we were blocking it out. Oh, wow. Maybe that was it. Um, but it was in that, at that house and location in Atlanta. And the most amazing thing, Joe and Anth had set up the actors that got practiced the camera. And then you do a thing on sets where it's called Last Looks, where... Uh, just before you start shooting, um, the hair teams, the makeup team will come in and do the final touches on, on, on the actors. When you have a scene with two or three people, you know, that means, you know, about eight or nine people come in and, and <laughs> I swear to you, I was on the balcony of that house. I was in that shot, uh, as you see in the movie, right inside the cabin was Video Village where I was sitting and Joan Anth was sitting and Trin Tran was sitting. So I was up there on the balcony as they were getting ready. They call Last Looks. And I'm not kidding. The ground started shaking. <laughs> and from the other side of the house into the backyard came hundreds of hair and makeup people to deal with all these megastars. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Did you, uh, did you toy with the idea of a sort of, sort of um, Hitchcockian cameo just poking your head no. at the end <laughs> of the shot? No, no. It, it, was all, it was all about fury coming up there onto that yeah. balcony and that, at the very end of that shot. Uh, I guess we did joke about it, but yeah. we didn't. Oh, Nobody stuck their head out the window. <laughs> uh, but that shot was was really remarkable. Everybody was really there. We did at one point toy with the idea of putting 
Cassie there? Because Cassie's not there, right? Yeah, yeah. Is Cassie there with the family? Is Cassie there? Anyone remember? No, she's not. Yeah. Um, So at one point, we thought of digitally adding her Mm -hmm. to it to have it be that family. Um, But we thought this was the heroes celebrating the other heroes and and, uh, the the loss of Tony. So we didn't do it. So other than, obviously, Smart Hulk and Rocket and Groot, Mm -hmm. everybody's... Everybody's actually standing there. And you also have nods to uh, previous mm-hmm. movies. You have William Hurt turning up as, uh, mm-hmm. as General Ross. You have uh, the kid from Iron Man 3. You have Which nobody knew, knew, recognized because yeah, his, no, hair, like, his hair was so crazy. <laughs> the next day it was like, who Harley, was that guy yes. at the, at the funeral? He's grown up. He really has. Um, did, did you consider anyone else apart from Cassie or was that pretty much it? In we, talked about, previous we talked about lots and lots of people. And the... The script was fairly well set at that point when we shot it, but things always change. And so it was it was our amazing um, line producer, Mark Grillo and uh, Joanne, our UPM, who really helped schedule that. And for months would be making travel arrangements for that entire cast and would ask us, anybody else? Who else should be there? And we put lists together and adding people and taking people away. Um, but I think we we definitely ended up with everybody mm. that we that we wanted there, that we needed there there were some discussions about some others. But. Okay. So this uh, this creative retreat a few years ago, we started hashing out the idea for Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, how much did you know that this movie would be ending people's journeys, that we would be seeing it would be the last movie for Tony Stark? Spoiler. Uh, Steve Rogers, Natasha. Did you know that going in? Uh, we, we knew soon after as we, started, as we started building it that we were going to build it as a finale, that that was... I think at the retreat, it was just, there's so much amazing Thanos story to tell, we need two movies. Mm-hmm. As we started to build it, and as the years went by, as the rest of Phase 3 was coming together, we realized we want to do something that this genre has not seen very often. And by genre, I mean, you know, where you have characters who in comics never go away, mm-hmm. who in comics continually to be reinvented. You don't get endings, you get recasts. Um, and those can be great, and those are always often great and, and continue franchises and James Bond's the best example of that. Of course, yeah. But because we were doing something different and interlocking these stories, I thought it would be fun to do something that had never been done before and have an ending. Mm. And that meant changing, saying goodbye to certain characters, changing characters in big ways. And that first came together, um, I remember pitching that to Robert Downey uh, probably in December of 15, I think, and pitching him, not pitching him the idea of two. This is one of my favorite things to do mm. is to, we have these ideas. They rely on your actors or in particular with these films, Robert Downey Jr. Agreeing to it <laughs> and, and wanting to do it. And, and, you know, the, the business aspects of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, the deals aside, mm. just, getting him creatively interested in it. So there have been two occasions. The first three Iron Man films and even the two uh, Avengers, f- first two Avengers films were sort of all part of an initial one contract and then a renegotiated contract. Mm. And then that was set, basically. And then we had the idea for Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I went to go see him in his final week of shooting Ultron uh, and pitched him the idea of, of Civil War. And Thankfully, he was into it, and his only note was, I don't want to do a cameo. I want to be in it. I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to be a substantial part of it. Yeah. And then uh, soon after that, going and pitching him the idea of two-part finale for Avengers and Homecoming. 
yeah. which was a part of yeah. it, yeah. Uh, leading into it. And, uh, and I think clearly he, he did it. It, it. it took a little while, but eventually uh, it came together. And I think he was, I think at first it doesn't seem real, like this journey will come to an end. Yeah. But as it got closer to filming, he uh, it really was emotional. Mm. For all of us, in particular for him. Yeah, I was going to ask what that day was like. There were multiple days okay. that were that were like, this is it. This is the last time. Uh, no, we have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. This is the final one. And I'd fly to Atlanta to be there. No, we've got to do it again. <laughs> the final time, uh, very appropriately, was the end of Endgame, I'm Iron Man in the Snap. Yeah. That was the very last thing he shot. And because that idea came up very late in post, he used to say nothing. He used to uh, say the F word <laughs> in one version of it that we screened. But none of it was, none of it was feeling the way we wanted it to feel. Yeah. And then, and I think it was our editor, Jeff Ford, who had the idea of, of Iron Man. And Downey was a little hesitant to be like, every time he got like this cathartic emotions going through it now for the third time. But he did it. And uh, I think we've, I don't know if we've talked about this, but that sh was shot um, right across from the Paramount Studios, a place called Raleigh Studios, in a stage right next door to the stage where he did his audition for Iron Man 1. <laughs> and it was the first time we had been on that lot together oh, wow. since his, it's a v v sort of very small lot. This came together quickly. It was the only space we could get. And I thought, how amazing that the stars have aligned, coincidentally, yeah, yeah, yeah. that his very last shot of, as Iron Man will be done in this place where he first performed Tony Stark in, in this audition. And how all of our lives had changed so dramatically from, uh, from that first audition to that, to that last shot. Was there, was there in some way a pause uh, about about Tony's death and about it strikes me that Far From Home is a lot about is, a, is about is almost a meta commentary on the MCU that it's about Peter having to move on without his mentor without Tony but also it's the MCU having to move on without without Tony without Robert Downey Jr. so was there was there some concern about that and about losing Steve Rogers as well losing the sort of the, the twin totems of the MCU in, in one fell swoop no the the idea for Tony came up first and I think we were dedicated to it 100%. We never questioned it because this was the whole the whole um, idea. Mm. That was the whole ending. That's the whole point of the ending. Yeah. And at the time, uh, you know, sometimes we're influenced by, by the words of others. Sometimes we're not and stay the course. Around the time we started working on this film, there was, you know, there was some sense that deaths don't matter in our movies or that they don't, they, they don't, you know... Um, uh, Nick Fury gets shot and died in, in Winter Soldier and then comes back in the third act, <laughs> which was awesome, but is not a, <laughs> is not a death. And, and people were clamoring for, uh, for uh, not death necessarily, but st I think stakes and real emotion. Yeah. And I remember thinking, be careful what you wish for <laughs> uh, uh, as we started getting closer to this. But no, we never questioned it. Okay. We never questioned it. All of the angst and all of the effort went into – sticking the landing, went into making it worthwhile. You see, uh, you know, we, we saw Logan, um, like all of you did, in, in a theater, having nothing to, 
do with the making of that film and went, oh, my God, that was, what an amazing ending for Hugh as mm-hmm. this character. You know, there are only a handful of examples where, where an, an actor so associated with a character can go out perfectly. Um, and, the, and, and Logan is the only one that jumps to mind right now, but they're not, they're not that many of them. Mm. And that's what we desperately wanted to give Robert. Mm. So that was what our focus was on. And there's a variety as well because Steve's end, uh, Chris Evans' end in the MCU is, well, maybe not entirely an end, but also like, you know, he doesn't die. He, he gets closure in a different way. Yeah, and that was that was an idea that that came on probably within a year of developing these films, and became and Chris and Steve can talk a lot more about this, um, became an anchor yeah. for the entire project. It was such an amazing idea and such a a perfect ending, an unexpected ending for everybody who was guessing he was going to die, because all the polls online certainly had <laughs> Steve Rogers at the forefront of uh, of uh, of getting killed. And the fact that, yes, he was changing, he was going away, uh-huh. but in a very unexpected way and in a way that uh, allowed us to end our 2023 20, movie with Far From Home, Infinity Saga, on, on two characters dancing and, <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a kiss. Steve gets his date and a lot more besides. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> what? You know me, Kevin, I can, I can lower the tone at any time. Um, can we talk about Captain America's severed head? How close did that come to actually becoming a reality? Um, I think it ended up in a set of pages at one point in the script. Uh-huh. There might be a piece of concept art somewhere with it. You know, so much of the so much of the development of the movie was figuring out these amazing uh, arcs for these amazing characters, trying to do justice to these to the arcs of these of these characters over. 10 years. It was also, um, and I think they're behind the scenes pictures of this, us having the giant omnibus of the Infinity Gauntlet uh, comic collection mm. and saying, we need to do justice for th- to this. Mm. Thanos is not just a, you know, a purple guy with a big chin who turns around, who sits in chairs and uh, smirks, <laughs> um, which is basically all he had been up until Infinity War. Yeah. So He's basically a podcast host. That's essentially, exactly. that's essentially what he is. You are smirking over there. Um, <laughs> My chins do like like balls as well. The, so. uh, <laughs> the t- that's the tone you're talking about? That's the tone, Kevin. Right. Have we found it? We're good? We're yeah, good? Okay. I think we're, we've leveled out. Okay. Or bottomed out. Uh, so much of the uh, time we spent in, in uh, a conference room in Pinewood, Atlanta, that someday I want there to be a plaque. It was here that nine people almost <laughs> lost their minds developing and writing uh, Infinity Saga and Endgame. And I would keep opening the book and go, but we need to do this. Uh-huh. But we need something like this. But Thanos can do this. And some of that was led to things you saw in Infinity War in, in Nowhere where he uh, turns Drax into a pile of cubes or turns Nebula into that spiraling ribbon mm. or has bubbles come out of uh, Star-Lord's gun. Yeah, yeah. His use of the, his casual, sadistic use of the stones was something that I kept we kept wanting to do. Another one of those image was Thanos sitting on a on a throne of skulls, sort of ruling over everything. Yeah. And how do we get this idea in the movie, or how where can we see that in in the movie? The end of Endgame, um, him sitting there satisfied, looking out at a grateful universe, 
inspired by a shot towards the end of the Infinity mm -hmm. Gauntlet, mm -hmm. where under different circumstances, he's basically seems at peace and is sitting in a front of a little hut. Um, but we wanted to figure out how could we get the throne in there and surrounded by, and he killed even more Avengers in the comics. Uh, so how, do, how could we do that? And one of the ideas was when they uh, finish the time heist, they return to a world that Thanos had already conquered that involved all of that, involved a throne of bones <laughs> made of bones and skulls and had him tossing like a bowling ball, Captain America's severed skull head still in the cowl to Captain America. Uh, wow. And it was pretty cool. But the, but the logic to get there um, defeated us. Yes. Okay. Yes. But that's, that's pretty bold move on Thanos' part. You can see why Tony might drop an F-bomb, right. <laughs> right. given that. Um, but that's, that kind of leads us indirectly uh, into discussion of, and I may be not speaking for everybody here, but the greatest moment in the history of the human race, which is uh, the portals sequence, uh, Kevin. Um, yes. Where did that come from? How can you talk about just putting that together and, and banging your heads together? Like, how does this work? Well, that was, yes, yes. I mean, that, that came about from wanting to have the cavalry arrive, wanting to have a moment, turning the returned characters into a cavalry that could save the day, as opposed to simply them popping back and everybody hugging and, and being happy. And that required, uh, that the whole third act of Endgame was quite difficult. And um, there were early cuts of the movie where, where the audience didn't understand that they had come back to the present day. Back to the Future is an awesome movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, we were talking about Alan Silvestri mm -hmm. backstage, Indeed. who composed, I think, the, the, the movie of his life with, with Endgame. The music he did for this movie and for that portal moment in particular yeah. makes the movie and is incredible. My most played um, track this year, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> oh, it is? <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. And that, that's a story getting to that. But Back to the Future has so seeped into the culture that, that people think, oh, yes, you go back in time to change the present. The past changed the present, and therefore, that's how you solve time travel problems. And that wasn't what we were doing in this movie. Mm. We were specifically not doing it in this movie because we wanted to keep everything we'd had. We had the discussions of, of uh, the time travel discussions of, which ended up in the movie a little bit, go back in time and kill Hitler. Well, if you do that, go back in time, kill baby Hitler, you stop a lot of terrible things from happening. Mm many of us wouldn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Many of what has happened over the past seven years wouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. So at what point, who is it fair to? Who are you saving? Who are you losing? And we wanted to go a different route and have Tony Stark, because of his daughter, say, bring back everything we lost, keep everything we gained. Yeah. But still in early cuts, the audience thought when they returned to the compound, it was the compound from five years before and everything was good. Okay. okay. Which is why we added yeah. things like Tony Stark saying to Hulk, now remember, <laughs> bring everybody back, but keep bring everybody back here to now. Like we were yeah. just like we were like just say it, <laughs> just just say it, uh, and then it worked, and then people got it, and then look at the camera, and then wink, and then just make uh, sure they get it. But because of the, the logic of those things, we wanted, which is why basically the skull moment didn't end up. Okay, because that didn't work in terms of changing the past changing the future and how you dealt with it. At one point, there was a giant sort of um, uh, 
uh, magical line that separated the compound. Half the compound was untouched in one reality, and the other half of the compound was this hellish area ruled by Thanos. Wow. Is, and he rolled the skull between them. Okay. Two, two cap. Yeah, yeah. Didn't do that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but that led to questions of which snap brings everybody back. Mm-hmm. And we don't want them all to come back with the first snap. Again, Chris and Steve, I'm sure, talked about this more than, more than uh, uh, I can. But it led to a relatively unique construct where, there were, where, we, had, where we needed two snaps. Mm-hmm. And... And the attack of Thanos happening right after that first one so that you don't necessarily know the answer. There were some – you do know because his phone rings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, yes, he still has cell phone service (laughs) for his wife who blipped away five years before. There would be a special blip. That basically says it worked. Yeah. And and, and, uh, Ant-Man says, I think it worked. Mm. Then they're so annihilated Mm. that you actually forget about that. Mm -hmm. You actually forget that it worked. And it took some time in, in the cutting room and, and even with the score to get that to happen. But getting to a point where Steve Rogers was doing what he always does, which is get back up, try to do it all day, one man against the world, against the universe of, of Thanos' armies. And you have forgotten that that snap worked and there are a shit ton of heroes somewhere <laughs> waiting to come back. And, uh, and again, Chris and Steve um, calling back to On Your Left was another moment early on where it's like, well, that's genius. We have to do, <laughs> we have to do that. Um, and then it was – we shot that a number of times, uh-huh. um, much of it in the film, um, to get the order right and to get the audience to understand that these were portals, that they weren't stepping through time. That was the other thing people thought in early cuts of the movie, okay. that these people were coming from the time right at that moment as opposed to coming from the locations. Um, but I'm very pleased with how it turned out. So it wasn't something, for example, the visual continuity of Doctor Strange's portals. Uh, it wasn't something that you talked about with Scott Derrickson in, say, 2015, 2016. Make them look like this, because we're going to be using that as shorthand three years down the line. No, no. It was it was we, we wanted to do them in Doctor Strange, because that's one of the cool things mm-hmm. Doctor Strange can do. And then it... And then once we've done it, once it's in the MCU, it goes in the toolbox. And when we're developing another movie, we have those tools. And I think um, that's how it came back. How are we going to get people back from this planet and that world and that world? Oh. (laughs) They'll just portal back. Doctor Strange had a very busy 10 minutes after he was brought back. (laughs) I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, Last thing for me before I throw it open to you guys. Um, Joe and Anthony say one thing about how uh, Cap and the timeline at the end of the movie and how old man Steve manages to turn up on that bench. Uh, Chris and Steve say another thing. Kevin Feige is the producer of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> what do you say? How does old man Steve turn up on the bench at the end? Is he in our timeline, just kind of living incognito, or does he come from an alternate timeline? That is a good question. <laughs> For another time. Oh, Who says that? <laughs> Oh, hang on. Who does say that? Who says that? Maz Kanata in The Force Awakens. In regard to how did Luke Skywalker's lightsaber get in your castle? Okay. And ever since I heard that line, I said, I'm going to use that. (laughs) A lot. Bloody Maz Kanata. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right. Okay. So... If you have any questions now for Kevin, oh my God. Uh, let's go straight to the first person I saw is this gentleman here in the second row. Hi, Kevin. Hello. Um, I have a question about the uh, 
the plotting of the phases as a whole, because it's something that has probably never been done in movie history before, something on that scale. When you go on these retreats, how many people are in the room initially plotting it all out? And if a surprise comes along, something like getting Spider-Man or Mahershala Ali knocking on your door, for example, <laughs> um, how much does that shake things up and how much do you have to change and replot and all that? Um, the very first retreat, there were four of us. This most recent retreat, we kept to uh, a minimum of about 10 of us a day, although some people shifted in and out because I didn't want it to be more than 10. Um, in terms of that's the exciting part. I mean, four and a half years ago, I did a big uh, unveiling of phase three at uh, a theater in Hollywood and announced everything. And then very soon after that, we got Spider-Man. We're like, all right, now we'll change, <laughs> change it. Um, and... Uh, and I've always said, you know, the entire uh, history of the MCU is based on very careful planning and being open to a lot of deviations from that plan. I find it very helpful to have a, an end goal in sight. How you get there, we're always open to shifting and, and, and changing for both of those examples that you use are good, are good reasons. Also, just a better idea or something in one movie comes up and that impacts a, another movie. Uh, in a better in a better way, so the general roadmap is always set. What what routes we take um, often change, and we expect them to change. We want them to because that means that they'll get better. Okay. Fantastic. By the way, if you ever need anyone in those creative retreats, Kevin, um, <laughs> I'm not very creative, but I do like to retreat. So. <laughs> Just give me a shout. Totally fine. Yes, please, lady here. Well, I was going to say lady in the baseball cap, but uh, <laughs> with the glasses, sitting next to the lady in the baseball cap with the glasses. Thank you. Hi, quick question. How did you keep Tom Holland's mouth shut for three years? <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the truth is, the truth is Tom Holland is, uh, is amazing and has kept a lot of secrets. I think about the two millionth time it came up on a talk show about how bad he is at keeping secrets. He did come up to me and go, you know, I, I do keep a lot of secrets. <laughs> I said, I, I know, but it's a thing now. It's a fun thing. So let's lead into it. And then he'll then go spoil something else by accident. Uh, but we did not take any, any special measures um, uh, for Tom or Mark Ruffalo, who has a tendency to <laughs> let his phone record at all times in all places. Um, uh, but they're also both so lovely that you just can't get that mad. Yeah. You can't get that upset with them. Mark is actually at the back. He's been live tweeting the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yes, please, sir. Hiya. If you could kill off any other Endgame character, oh. who would it be and why? Blimey. You want more death? <laughs> if you could choose, if you had to. I can choose. <laughs> who would uh, it be we then? We did choose. Uh, if you had to kill off another person. He wants blood, Kevin. Give him My blood. God. Give me some blood. Who's up there? Uh, I, I think we purposely didn't kill a lot of people people thought we would kill. Um, most, um, obviously, Hawkeye. I think everybody was betting Hawkeye would, would go for, for a long time. Um, uh, going back to uh, Ultron. When, yes. uh, when, uh, <laughs> Where he has a target list. Yeah, head. exactly. <laughs> um, you know, my favorite thing about, about Hawkeye and, the, and how the world takes everything for granted until you don't have it. When Hawkeye was not in those materials for Infinity War, mm. I think he got more attention than he's ever gotten before. <laughs> it was amazing. 
Um, so I would not want to kill him, which is why we didn't kill him. But just looking at the poster up on this uh, beautiful screen behind us, um, yeah, it was not killing the ones that people expected that, uh, that entertained us. And I don't know that I'd want any of the other ones yeah. to, to get killed. I don't, I don't thirst for death like some of us. <laughs> He's not going to satisfy your bloodlust. Uh, yes, please, right up here, the second... Yes, the lady with the T-shirt. That doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> She's got hair. Does that help? There you go. Hello. Um, just in regards to the recently released, very moving, deleted scene with the kneeling um, yes. around Tony, do you personally... Do you enjoy sort of giving those scene like you know scenes out and seeing positive reactions to it and just more for the fans, or do you feel a bit precious about you know the version that you have and it kind of makes you not want to share things like that sometimes? Um, I like sharing it, and and when there's something like that which we loved and which was not an easy decision to cut out, but was the best decision for the movie. Um, it's a great avenue to say no, but we'll put it out there. People, it's not like no one will ever see it. There are things that we think nobody should ever see. Um, <laughs> and, I think, and I think we've just recently been discussing that now we could start to show some of, some, some, uh, of our less uh, proud moments. If we do a big, giant Infinity Saga box set, we might include... I'm assuming if you're going to buy, spend the money and buy a box set with everything in it, you're a fan. And it'll take more than a couple of really, really bad scenes <laughs> to uh, to turn you. But they're interesting. I like to see, you know, there there's stuff that still pops up, you know, from the Star Wars trilogy occasionally. Probably not in the last 20 years, but mm. <clears throat> that Tashi Station, for instance. Yes. That is not great. Certainly not, shouldn't be in the movie. But I love seeing it. <laughs> I love that they shot it and it exists and we get yep. to see it. So usually we love putting that stuff out there. Um there's some things that uh, we've been too humiliated uh, to show that I think we'll bring out soon enough. Interesting. Very interesting. So that, that deleted scene, that shows where Gamora goes at the end of the movie. So by not including that, did you want to include even just that simple shot of her walking away? We looked it? at it. We thought about it. But when you didn't have that, that moment uh, and you just had everyone in their initial reactions to... Tony, and then you cut to a green woman going, forget this guy. <laughs> and walking off, off camera. It didn't, it didn't work. It is why we added, um, it is why we added Quill looking at the monitor before Thor walks onto the yeah. ship. Because some people have asked why she wasn't dusted, given that Tony might have thought that she was part of Thanos' contingent. Is this another mass canatic? No, no, I don't think it is. I, I don't think it is. I think it, I think she clearly was not. I think yeah. I think Tony and Hulk. Just like I don't think people came to life. If people were flying in an airplane when they dusted during the snap, they didn't return at thirty-five thousand feet and fall to their death because smart Hulk is smart. And when he snapped, and you can wish for whatever you want with that yeah, thing, yeah. and you have them all. You yeah. wish for everybody to come back safely. Done. <laughs> so now you're fine airplane propellers uh, <laughs> uh, and I think Tony did a similar thing of have all these people go away and then it's up to the omnipotent stones to uh, yes to, to, to sort it out yeah oh no we've come back at a razor blade convention <laughs> <laughs> what's going on we've got time for a couple of last questions this gentleman here is wearing a lovely Guardians of the Galaxy t-shirt hello Kevin how are you good um, my question is about those two words that I know before going into the movie everyone wanted to hear Avengers Assemble and we were at a midnight screening in IMAX Leicester Square 
I've never heard a reaction like it when Cap said those two words. Um, obviously, just he's at the end of Age of Ultron with Cap saying Avengers and then nothing, going to credits. Um, where in the process for Infinity War and Endgame did you know that this is where we want him to say those two words that everyone wants to hear? Uh, it, it was around that same time of, of saying, yes, we want them all to return uh, as, a, as the cavalry. And of course, that's when Cap's got to say it. And, and you know, Joss loved to, to toy with it and not, and not say it, which is totally the right instinct. Um, because we didn't want it to just become the rallying cry that it is in the comics, tally-ho, um, uh, every time, every time more than what, three of them are together. You have to, you have to say it, um, you need to earn it. And, and so it was very early in the, in the, uh, uh, as we were building that ending that, that they would, they would all come back and he would say it. Yeah. And it's a testament to, uh, to Joan, Anthony, Chris and Steve and Chris Evans, that it was not yelled, yeah. that it was a quiet wasn't cheesy. Here comes quiet moment, yeah. and then they yell and, and, and surge. Was there a moment where he goes, Avengers, assemble. Oh, you have. Uh, <laughs> all right, okay, well, that's fine. Let's go. Um, uh, let's see, who else is next? Yes, gentleman with the hair. Um, so, <laughs> as all my friends know me, um, the MCU movies, they're not, as much as anyone in this room would probably like them to be, they're not movies that win a Best Picture Oscar or a Best Actor Oscar, Best female actor Oscar um, but they are the kind of movies that are the stuff of family film nights already and always will be um, I've got a 10 month old daughter I plan to introduce her to this at, at some point hopefully not religiously but let her just <laughs> make her way into it how does it feel you know there's a lot to come but at this kind of point of closure how does it feel to know that that is what you have made you've not made your 10 years of best picture winners but you've made something that people are going to have on their shelves and put on to gather around as a family to watch. How does it feel to know that, that is the kind of thing that you've made? Well, it, it, it's amazing. And that's always, that was always the, the, the dream, right? I, I like uh, um, the Academy. I like the Oscar. I think it's got great lineage and great history. And I watched those, stayed up past my bedtime to watch the shows on the East Coast of the United States when I was a kid. But would always go to bed disappointed because my favorite movies didn't didn't win and then eventually my favorite movies weren't nominated often yeah and of course last year with black panther was an incredible honor and incredible uh um uh, um uh, gratifying to the to the enough for the nominations and for the ones uh, that uh, that our amazing crew on that film won uh but yes i've always said um that my dream would be to to win the win the test of time and we're only 11-year-old studio, so we've got many decades to come to, to prove it. But that has always been... I always wanted to, to, um, to affect a lot, as many people as possible. And sitting, as we did, uh, in the theater opening night in Westwood, California, at a big old single-screen movie uh, palace called the, the, Vill the Fox Village, um, it, was in, it was amazing. I'm sure much like the Midnight Show in Leicester Square, it was... the pinnacle of my uh of my professional life was sitting in the center of that theater uh watching the film mm. uh on the first showing that thursday night and it was it was overwhelming and every laugh and every line and every cheer because you're not we don't take those things for granted we work hard to try to have that be the reaction but until you show it to a crowd we don't know 
So at each time, something amazing would happen. We'd all, we, bench, we essentially had the, almost the entire middle aisle. There's myself and Kristen Stephen, Joan Anth and Jeff Ford and Alan Silvestri was with us wow. and uh, uh, Trin. And something would happen and the crowd would go crazy. And we'd all look up and down the aisle <laughs> at each other. <laughs> like it worked. That, ar- that 20 minute argument for this, it, may- it worked, it paid off. Look at this. Um, so yes, that, that, that reward is, uh, is uh, amazing and f- above and beyond anything most, uh, most uh, people dream about. Because you've seen this movie hundreds of times, I'm guessing. Do you, do you cry at it? Are there any things? Because obviously, I haven't cried at this movie. You've cried at this movie. Shame on you. Uh, do you cry at Endgame? Uh, if so, which bit? The uh, the first few uh, times when, during the dusting in Infinity War, and I mean like the very first assemblies of it, when I realized, oh, we're doing this, and this is this is going to work, I teared up a little bit. And then in Endgame, the, almost every version starting with the still green screen, just actors running down a green ramp version of the portal return. <laughs> um, got me every time. Wow. Every time. Um, more so than any of the, any of the uh, uh, deaths. Yeah. I've always been like that, right? Because at yeah, some yeah. point I know they're not dead. The actors aren't dead. It's not, they're it's not really not real. dead. It's not real. Uh, like in E.T. when I was a kid, I sobbed when he left at the end. Yeah. I didn't cry when he died. When he was, yeah, when he, when he gray E.T. Yeah. I was disturbed at gray <laughs> E.T. in the sewer, believe me. But so, so that moment of, of, of almost joy of them all returning. Yeah. And then with me, it goes even deeper because it's like, holy Toledo, we've introduced all these actors. All the, we've made movies of all these actors already, yeah. of all these characters. And, uh, and it, so that got me a number of times. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, the very last question from this lady here in the front row. Hi. Um, I just uh, pretty much ties into the last question about talking about your more emotional moments. Endgame has so many iconic moments that people in the cinema were cheering for or laughing over and just absolutely losing their minds because so much ties into the previous films and things we'd never thought we'd hear. Like, America's ass is still <laughs> incredible to me. And I love that you included that. Were there any moments for you that apart from the portal scene that you absolutely adored and you look back and you think, yeah, that was the best thing we could have put in there. Uh, honestly, it's almost every moment in the movie. I mean, uh, we, we, we made this movie. We used to joke um, as we were developing the movie that in this movie, it's only the good parts. Let, let's only put in the good parts <laughs> in this movie. We want there only to be great parts. Uh, Such a controversial <clears throat> approach to filmmaking. <laughs> we said, let's try something different. Uh, but for that reason, it is every scene was designed to to um, pay something off or carry something forward or pay homage to something or pay something off. Um, so so I do love almost all of them. The the moments. And again, my you start every movie, certainly all of our movies start with very few people in a room deciding to make the movie and then only a few more people like in the conference room where we developed this movie, you know, there were two, four, six, maybe eight, eight to 10 of us at any time. Then it gets to hundreds of people on set, thousands of people involved. Then it scales back down again to, you know, five or six of you in a cutting room. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the process. And to those, both of those questions, there were many times where more so than any other film I've worked on, where we would watch a scene because we were judging you know, whatever the latest change was. 
and then we just let it play. <laughs> and then we just have to stop a bit like, okay, we've, we actually have to, so we'd watch quite often 15 or 20 minute chunks of the film when really we only need to watch five because we got absorbed into it, which is very unusual in the cutting room where you're just under the gun and you're trying to make it the best it can be. And on a few of those moments, you could always see whose moment, who would be triggered by what moment. And you'd see, you know, somebody wiping their tears away <laughs> from their, uh, from their eyes. Some, some louder criers than other others <laughs> in that room. Um, but the tissues quietly, I, I pretend like I was about to sneeze or something to grab a tissue <laughs> and, and wipe my eyes. Well, you know, one moment that would get Jeff Ford every time was at the tail end of the shot at the wedding uh, when, you, <laughs> when uh, Fury walks in. Oh, really? Because, again, Jeff has done a lot of movies with us going back to the first Cap uh, film. And, and Sam coming in there, having not been in either movie, um, brings with him the legacy of all those other films and the legacy of all he had done as an actor and as a character for this world. And Jeff would always start to get choked up there. I've talked about the portal moment. The other moment that unexpectedly got me on the day when we were filming it, when we were again inside the cabin, was Favreau. And, the, yep. and, and Morgan talking about cheeseburgers. Yep. And, and John Favreau is such an amazing human being and an amazing a, a, a director and amazing actor. He was in Video Village with us in that cabin talking about something, joking because he's always joking and he's always boisterous. He's like, you better not replace, you better not have me talking to a raccoon at the end of this scene. <laughs> I'm be really mad if when I see this movie, you suddenly switched out the girl with a raccoon. And it's like, okay, uh, John, you got, they're calling John to set. All right, and as he's going out the door, all right, better not be a raccoon. <laughs> he sits down, action, and he nails it. And he just, and he crushes it and, and gets us choked up talking about cheeseburgers, which if you've been following along, uh -huh. is of course what Tony Stark asked for when he first got back from the cave. Um, and, uh, and that moment mm. gets us because of John's performance and how amazing it was, and because it tied back to the very first one. I, lo I love that 3,000. <laughs> and that's gonna set me off as well. Um, and on that note, but it's been an, uh, an absolute pleasure and a privilege. Uh, thank you once again. Great. Kevin Feige, everybody. Thank you. thank you. Thanks, everyone. And that is it for our Avengers Endgame spoiler special with Kevin Feige. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this and to support the Empire podcast and to listen to our spoiler specials and interview specials, as so many of you have over the last few years. Thanks, of course, must also go to the Soho Hotel London for providing the venue. Thank you to Stu Oakley and Lauren Sizer at Disney and everyone at Disney who helped make this happen. And of course, thanks to Kevin Feige for being so generous with his time. We had an absolute blast doing this, and I hope you did too. If you're still listening to this, fat chance, some podcasts to look out for or listen out for over the next couple of weeks. Our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoiler special with Quentin Tarantino himself is now up for you to listen to. The regular weekly Empire podcast this week features Jerry Butler and Andre Overdahl, the director of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and that is also up right now. And our next spoiler special is hopefully going to be for It Chapter 2 with director Andy Muschietti and producer Barbara Muschietti. And we're taking a show on a mini tour of the UK. We are playing London on September 14th, Edinburgh on September 19th, York on September 26th, Liverpool on October 3rd, Brighton on October 10th and Belfast on October 17th. Tickets for all those shows are available from various places, kingsplace.co.uk 
for the London gig as part of the London Podcast Festival, the Cinemagic website for the Belfast show, and picturehouse.com for the remaining four. Right, so now you might think that we are done with spoiler specials dedicated to the biggest film of all time, Avengers Endgame. And you know what? You might be right. For now. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.